0: Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Now, I was reading some stories around Veterans Day and I found one that um, is significant for today and where we're going today in the, in our time together. And so I'm going to show you a picture of a guy from Temple Terrace, Florida. This is Donald Britt. And this is obviously not Donald Britt today. In fact, Donald Britt passed away just a few years ago, but he was a World War II veteran. And he served with the 422nd Infantry in December of 1944 at the Battle of the Bulge. His regiment was actually cut off from air support and tanks, and they ran out of ammunition and did not fare well. Lots of lives were lost that day. He was not one of them. He was taken prisoner instead. They surrendered to the Germans, but he had the dog tags of seven of his closest friends in his pocket when they captured him. They were stuffed into a rail car and packed so tightly together, they said that they had to take turns lying down on the floor and the other men would stand on top of them, straddling them and holding each other up, packed in together and would fall asleep standing up. And they rode in that train, for two days before it stopped. It was stopped at a railroad complex after those couple of days when they heard the drone of approaching planes. And they realized they were American planes. Now while that might seem like good news, they realized that their train was not marked and so they thought that they were enemy trains. The Americans began to bomb the trains prisoners were trying to beat against the wall. They were trying to scratch at the door to let anything get them out of there because at that moment, they were sitting ducks. And he said, right in the middle of that, a soldier pulled out a Bible and began to read, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Brett said that it seemed like suddenly in the car it was quiet and peaceful and everyone began to listen Other train cars, dozens of prisoners died, but not one died in that car. The next night was Christmas Eve, and the train had moved along and stopped again, and the soldiers were thirsty. Someone heard what sounded like running water, and someone else heard the same. And before long, they were all listening. They could smell water. He said, I don't know if you actually can smell water, but we smelled water. They asked a guard for a drink, but they were denied. And one prisoner said, "Hey, it's Christmas Eve. Maybe we could melt his heart singing some Christmas carols." And so the whole train car began to sing "Silent Night" and "O Little Town of Bethlehem" and "O oh, Come, All You Faithful." He said they finally broke when it got to "Hark! The Herald Angels Sing." The guard said, if you can give me something to hold water, I'll put water in it. And they all took their helmets off, took the lining out, and handed them their helmets. Britt said he took a drink out of his sweaty helmet, and it was the best water he had ever had in his life. He would go on to be a prisoner of war for 100 days. Was held in Stalag IXB, a prisoner's camp. He witnessed horrendous things. And for many years when he came home, he would not talk about it. His kids would try to coax it out of him, but he just wouldn't do it. Until the latter part of days of his life, he began to say that he wanted to tell some of these stories. And they said, what story do you want to tell? And he said, I want to tell you the one of the time when frightened boys were calmed by Psalm 23, read in the presence of their enemies, And how by God's grace our thirst was quenched when our helmets were filled overflowing on Christmas Eve. Today we continue our series in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Today we continue our series, again, at Psalm 23, verse 5. Now I want to go ahead and give you the main idea and the question I'm going to ask at the end of the sermon. The main idea will be what we will follow throughout, but I want to give you those two things at the beginning so then we can unpack what this looks like. And here's the main idea that we're looking at today that I want us to grasp as we read this one verse is that God invites us to fellowship with Him for our benefit And his glory. The Lord invites us to fellowship with him for our benefit and for his glory. And here's the question I want to ask you at the end of the message today that I want you to be thinking about and to truly interact with the Lord on this one. And that is, whose invitation are you accepting? So let's start. Just start to break down that main idea and it says, the Lord invites us to fellowship with Him. Look at Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Can I tell you something? That when I was growing up and would read Psalm 23, maybe none of the verses perplexed me or bewildered me more than this particular verse because it seemed so out of context. I remember thinking we have all of these things about walking through valleys and the rod and the staff. It's a real shepherding kind of image. And then for whatever reason, I just got a picture of a big table set in the belt of a meadow. Like, why is why is there a table out here? Like, you know, you, like what what is that? That doesn't seem to fit. Well, this week while I was doing some research and I do think that there's, we'll get to that concept in a minute of God preparing a table for us to come and eat at. But it also had a different kind of meaning. And so I don't know whether you know this or not, but the word table is also kind of the word that can be used of a landform that is flat on the top. And what would happen oftentimes when shepherds had their sheep is that they would leave them on a journey from where they were in the winter to the summer's table or plateaus or mesas. Where they would go through valleys to get there and as they got to that place they would rise to a place where they had cultivated a field to feed the sheep all summer with wells that were dug that were there for the purpose of taking care of the sheep for the summer months was a high plateau. It would have taken months to cultivate, years to get just right. It spoke of leaving the, the valley and ascending to this place. And there are a couple of key ideas that are from that that could relate to what we're talking about in this particular psalm. And the first is, the shepherds would sometimes do that because those large flat places gave them better eyesight and be able to protect From enemies, better. In fact, there are a lot of scholars that see verse 5 as an extension of verse 4. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You bring me to a place where you can protect me. You bring me to a place where you can look out and see. So part of the meaning behind this is that God is bringing us, leading us, preparing us, giving us a place where he can protect us from the enemies that are around us. Now, we all have enemies, whether we realize it or not. Some of you may know your enemies and that word doesn't get used a lot. People act like that's a big kind of word and it is kind of a heavy word. But all of us have enemies. We have people that don't like us, that don't like um what we are doing or who we are, maybe because of our faith, maybe just because of personal differences. Sometimes there are conflicts that kind of grow out of personality differences, even among God's people. And we have people that are, that are wish us harm or not excited about the good that may be happening in our lives. But whether we have those kind of enemies or not, scripture makes it very clear that we have an enemy spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we realize we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual things. And so one idea in this that he brings us to a table, he prepares a table, he gets ready a mesa, he gets ready this place, is that he is preparing for us a place where he can protect us better from what may be coming. But ultimately, this is about what it is first appears, even if it's not a wood table in the midst of a meadow. This is about God preparing a place where he could feed the sheep and tend to them in a gentle way and fellowship with them. Mealtime was vastly important in the lives of people of Jesus' day. I mean, when you think about the Gospels, one of the things that Jesus got accused of again and again and again is that he constantly ate with the wrong kind of people. You remember a couple of weeks ago and we had family worship and we talked about Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. Do you remember what came, that came from? Why Jesus even talked about those parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and of the lost son? If you remember, it's because the scribes and Pharisees were like, look, he's eating with the wrong people. He's inviting the wrong people. He's hanging out with the wrong people. And Jesus basically says, you're right, according to your tradition, but not according to God's heart. And what happened is when you invited someone in your home, you were accepting who they were. You were telling them that they were good to be in your presence. And the most intimate moments of friendship happened over a meal. You think about Jesus when he um, told Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. He didn't say, hey, come down, man, let's have a conversation real quick. What did he say? Hey, come down, I'm going to your house today. He went to his house to eat Do you remember when He went to the house of the Pharisees and that Jesus got offended, if you will? The woman comes in to wash His feet with her hair and tears and Jesus says to the host, she is doing what you should have because you didn't follow protocol. And it was a big deal to break protocol. Throughout the New Testament... Inviting someone to a meal was an intimate moment of inviting them into your home. In the Old Testament, when the psalm is written, it was just as important. It was part of what they were. Their culture was that they were supposed to be hospitable people. It's honestly a a trait or set of understanding that we have lost in modern day world. I read some interesting statistics recently that said that Americans today spend more time cleaning their house than at any time in the history of the world. Either having someone clean it or cleaning it themselves and spend less time with other people in their home outside the family than at any time in American history. We spend more time taking care of it and less time inviting people in. This was a... Cultural thing for them. If you invited someone to dinner, if you prepared the table for them, it was inviting them into fellowship. For a moment, just think about the reality that you have been invited to dinner to dine with the God of the universe. He has invited you to sit down and have fellowship with Him. To sit down and enjoy moments with Him. To sit down and engage in conversation with Him. The God of the universe says that of all the priorities and all the agendas that are out there with running the universe and making sure it all stays in place, I want you to know that I have made time to spend time with you. That I have made time to be with you. The question is, will we accept that invitation? Will we sit with the Lord? Will we just relax in His presence? Will we listen for His voice? Will we read His Word? Will we spend time in prayer? Will we accept the invitation that comes from the God of the universe to sit down and dine with, fellowship with Him? In the busyness of the society in which we live, we fill our schedule with everything imaginable. And then what's not filled is filled with fluff or filler or TV in the background kind of life. God invites us into fellowship with him. It's important to understand why. And he tells us in this passage, he invites us into fellowship with him for our own benefit. Verse 5 there says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now we need to understand that anointing with oil here is not a symbolic thing for the shepherd. Dwayne Deckard is a sheep rancher who is also a pastor and he raised livestocks since his dad gave him a lamb to bottle feed when he was a preschooler. He has like 75 sheep now, and he doesn't even name the sheep, because it's easier to remember the number for the sheep than the name. And he says that some time ago he bought number 27. It was an new out of Ohio, and the first time number 27 saw him, she ran to the back and wouldn't have anything to do with her shepherd. He said, normally new sheep except... The shepherd in a short period of time because they learned that that's the hand that feeds them that's the hand that takes care of them but 27 would have nothing to do with him for over a year as soon as he would approach she would run to the back of the barn every time he came in she would run to the back of the flock to get away he said then she hurt her foot and i needed to help her and she wouldn't let me She'd run as fast as she could on her sore foot, and I could never catch up to her. And as a result, he said, she limped for a long, long time. And then she got very sick, and there was no choice. I had to catch her, get her into a confined space so I could work with her. He said she needed individual care. She needed antibiotics. She needed injection. And he said, and as I doctored her, I talked with her gradually. Through those talks, 27 began to warm to him and began to trust him. He said, finally, through that process, she accepted me as her shepherd. And now she's just like all the other sheep. He said, just the other day, she was eating out of his hand. And when I held the bucket out, she came right up to me. 27 made an amazing transformation from a lamb that wanted nothing to do with me to one that has fully accepted me and allows me to care for her and her lambs. Sometimes we're stubborn like that with the Lord. The Lord is wanting to help us. He's wanting to take care of us. The purpose of oil in their society oftentimes was that they would put that on wounds as a healing agent. In fact, there are sheep herders that even today in competitions that they would, they'll put a little bit on an ear that is hurt. And Psalm 23 5 speaks of the anointing the head with oil, it speaks of cups overflowing, it speaks to the shepherd tending to the sheep. And it's often during life's hurts that we come to understand the heart of the shepherd as we learn to accept his care and to trust his heart. And as he tends us and mends us, we begin to relieve ourselves of the idea that we should be scared of him or run away from him because he is the one that offers us true healing. God wants to take care of us there's a, a word throughout scripture that is the word tend frequently occurs in scripture it comes from an uh our translation comes from an old english word tendon which we mean to stretch it's actually the word that we use for the tendons like in our body that extend to attend to to even to stretch out our hand to do something helpful the extended hands that care for individual needs. In scripture, God talks about doing that with us. Isaiah 40:11. He it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. In Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 11 through 6, it says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel and that will be their grazing land there. They will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. The picture here of anointing with oil is of the shepherd tending to his sheep. By the way, it's interesting that this picture of anointing with oil is carried throughout Scripture not only to be the place that talks about a healing kind of happening, but also as a place to show God's blessing. In fact, the name that Jesus is given, excuse me, the title that Jesus is given Christos comes from a word that literally means anointed one. He has been anointed by the spirit of God. He claimed Isaiah 61 for himself, that the spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach good tidings, to heal, to proclaim liberty, to comfort, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When we accept Jesus as our savior, his spirit indwells us and as As He allows His Spirit to indwell us, as the Spirit comes to indwell us, the Holy Spirit pours God's grace into our lives. He infuses us with His all-sufficient power. His presence abides within us. He is the comforter and the counselor and the one who comes along to help. The Holy Spirit makes real to us all that the Father has promised and planned and provided for us through Jesus, His Son. Scripture says that He anoints my head with oil. He Brings healing and hope, but then it also says, My cup overflows. God is not stingy, He is a generous giver. One of the things Christians ought to be are the best hosts and the most generous givers in the world. When people come to our house for dinner, we ought to have a spread. Because we serve a God that does that for us. Our cup overflows. A word that should never be associated with Christians is stingy. And yet I know a lot of them. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Don't point. Right? Don't show anybody out. We ought to be generous people. We're coming up to this season of giving, and let me just say, as a church... You have been amazing. You are amazing in our giving, and I am so thankful to be a part of a church that rises to the occasion. And uh, next week is Operation Christmas Child Collection Sunday, and this church is gonna do that. We kinda sprung that on you late this year, getting some things together. The boxes are out in the hallway. Denise would love to sell you a box for two dollars. That's just what it costs to us to take and to pack and to bring back next week and have up here, and we're gonna send those off. I'm so thankful for that. And we know we, we have haven't gotten it yet, but we know there's some local schools that are going to ask us if we can help out with Christmas for young people this year, for kids. And this church always does every bit that we are asked to do with that. And we're thankful for that. We're excited about that opportunity. Our day of extravagant giving is coming soon. Um, That happens twice a year. In December, we do that just for things that are outside of this church. We send 100% of that money somewhere outside of this church to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions, to Lynch, Kentucky and the work that's happening there, to one of our partners in the North American Mission Board, to local places that we can find, the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home that is doing great work in the state of Tennessee. We are a giving church. And that ought to be what categorizes our life. And I'm not talking here about whether you have prime rib or chuck steak when people come to your house. I mean, if you want to have prime rib and have me over, that's awesome, right? I'm just talking about being generous with our life, with our time, with our material, with what we have, with who we are. I mean, God's goal in our life is to give us more than we can ask or imagine. One of the pictures here, if this is that mesa, that top, that, that place where they were, they were able, that plateau where they were able to, that, that shepherds would literally do everything they could to make sure the grass was as rich and lush as it could possibly be. I don't know why this image comes into mind. It's my, it's my sports mentality, I guess. But I think about those people that spend all year making sure the grass is good for like 10 games a year grounds crews that are doing things to make sure the grass is just right and watered perfectly. Now we've got science and all that stuff that kind of helps... I can't grow anything but weeds in my yard, but I appreciate people that do the grounds work to make a beautiful yard. Well, shepherds would do everything they could to have a rich, lush environment for their sheep. And it says here, this the picture is of God either doing that with the meadow, making it as lush as it could be, or in our terms, a better picture is the actual table of spreading a table out for people. I was... uh, having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody about the holiday season. And, you know, we, I guess that kicks off with Halloween. I mean, I saw last night, like Santa Claus is coming to town, was on like major TV last night. I was like, well, we, we just, we skip Thanksgiving, right? That just kind of happens. We, we jump right to Christmas. It's okay to celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's not, I'm not being scrooge about that, but it's just interesting, right? But I was talking to somebody and I said, you know what's interesting is is the older I get, the less important Halloween becomes, right? Now, when you were a kid, that was it, right? Outside of your birthday, when the whole world is focused on you, Halloween was it. I mean, you go to strangers' houses, and they give you stuff your parents wouldn't let you eat the rest of the year, and you have license to eat it, right? Um, I heard this week that a couple of teachers at Madison Creek for snack time may have had to ban candy from snack because parents are like, we got to get rid of the candy, throw that in there for snack this week, right? It's rumors, hypothetical, I've heard. But... The young the, the younger I was, how long was more important. And the, the 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 holiday in this whole run that I wasn't as happy about was Thanksgiving. The older I get, the more important Thanksgiving becomes. And not just for what it represents, because of the food spread. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Man, there's not a better food holiday in my opinion than Thanksgiving. Right? And you go up and what does everybody say? Like I telling, well, I don't know. I don't know how again this year we had this much food. We were going to cut back this year and here it is. And we got leftovers upon leftovers. And you know what? That's great. Because part of the reason we love it is the abundance of the provisions. And the picture here is the maker of the universe preparing a table with an abundance of provision to have dinner with his children. John 10.10 it says... That he has come to give life and to give it more abundantly. Here's the deal, though. If you can imagine that table with the Lord on one side and you on the other, and an invitation to come and sit and dine for your benefit at that place, for your protection for your healing, for your comfort, and for the fellowship with the Lord to a place where your life is overflowing. In the midst of that fellowship, there is an enemy of your soul that's trying to whisper in the background and inch his way into your life. Because while we love the second part of John 10, 10, y'all know the first part's not as happy, right? Because the first part of that says what? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And here's what's happened to a lot of us in our lives. The enemy of our souls desires nothing more for those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ to prevent us from experiencing the fullness of what it means to be in the presence of God. And for those that have not yet accepted what Jesus Christ has done for them to prevent them from ever making that step. And the enemy will disrupt and distract and destroy things in our lives. Whisper in our ears. Things happen throughout our day and the enemy will see, man, you deserve better than that. You deserve a break. Don't don't worry about that. Don't worry about them. Or, he'll play the game of Talking down on us. You don't, you don't deserve anything more. You don't deserve better. You know who you are. You know what you've done. You know where you were the other night. You know what you looked at online. You know where you went and who you talked to. You know the thoughts in your mind about that person that you call your friend. You know all this stuff. You know you don't deserve more. You don't deserve to be in the presence of the Lord. Just come hang out over here at a distance. And while God has invited us to his table that is overflowing in abundance, that is for our good, for our benefit, for our healing and our comfort, and for giving us more than we can ask or imagine, the enemy is consistently trying to distract and distort and destroy what God wants to do. The Lord invites us into his fellowship for our benefit and then the last part, for his glory. There's a little phrase in the midst of that that sometimes it's easy to just kind of lump in with that first stage and not understand kind of the, the the depth of what's there. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That phrase always seems kind of interesting, that God is preparing it in the presence of my enemies. You think, well, what's the purpose behind that? Well, one purpose could be just to show off like a... See what happens, see how good it is, see how great it is over here, kind of in a, in a petulant way, but I don't think that's what God intends in this particular moment. There are definitely times in scripture when God shows off his power by protecting his people for the others to see and then destroying them or harming them and saying, see, this is the protection my people get that you don't. But I think that there is an evangelistic element to what is happening here. In the presence of my enemy, it is that God is showing off in the lives of his people in order to show his glory. God often shows out in our lives to show off his glory to those that have yet come to come to accept his forgiveness. You see our purpose in life is first priority to glorify God. And whatever God does in and through our lives, yes, it is for our benefit. Yes, it is best for us to follow the Lord. Yes, there are benefits that we cannot even imagine that are coming to us, especially when this world has passed away and we are spending eternity with the Lord. But even now, benefits that we have that others outside of Christ do not But part of the reason God wants us still here and doesn't take us to heaven immediately is so that our lives might be trophies of grace to the world around us, that people might see the fullness and the fellowship we have with the Lord and as a result say, man, I want part of that. When he called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I'll make you a great nation and that all other nations will be blessed by you. When he does the Exodus, part of the reason he does the Exodus is to show that he is greater than the gods of the Egyptians and that the world would know that Yahweh is the one true God. When he dealt with them in Babylon with Daniel and his friends, it was always to say, look who is in charge. And even when Jesus spoke, He said, Let your light shine before men. Why? So people can brag on you, no. So that they may see your good works and do what? Praise your Father in heaven. Part of the reason that God is asking us into fellowship is, yes, it is good for us. It is what is best for us. But it is also to show the world that we are people that have peace in situations you shouldn't have peace. That are gentle and calm and gracious and forgiving and gentle with other people. That are givers in our nature. That are compassionate and caring and tend to other people. And they say, why is that? It is because we have been saved by the Almighty mighty God through Jesus Christ. And He has prepared a table before me that is overflowing and abundant and I serve Him. He is good to me. He anoints my head. He gives me everything I need. My cup overflows. And the question today is, are you accepting the invitation of the Lord and is your life projecting the goodness of our God to those around us? Or are you in danger of letting the enemy take you away from that? In a recent book, Louis Giglio said that there were nine words that changed his life. Louis is a pastor in the Atlanta area, has been for a long time. And he and his wife, in a particularly difficult season of life, they've had lots of kind of attacks externally and internally, Louis pastors a church now. He's also the leader of a movement called the Passion Movement. And they had lots of attacks. And he said that there was a particular day in the midst of that when he found out some information, some things came to light, some facts were revealed that proved him to be right in the conflict and proved the person that was coming against him to be wrong. And he decided that he wanted to let someone else know about that. And so he picked up his phone and he said he he he." quoted what happened or showed what happened or attached what happened and typed out this lengthy text message. He said, I spent a couple of hours on that thing, crafting it, getting just right. And basically it was, see, I told him this is what's going to happen. I told him this is the way it was going to go. I'm right. Let's celebrate that I'm right. And he sent that to his friend and he said, I was expecting any time momentarily. Uh, yeah, man, let's go after it. That's awesome. That is exactly what I thought. I wanted someone to commiserate with me in my victory that day. And he said, I saw those dots. He said, you ever, you ever send a message and then you're just watching for the dots to appear or for the text message to come and maybe it waits for a second and it's not there. He goes, it didn't come right away. And I thought, well, that's all right. He's just thinking about what he's going to write. It's it's going to be a masterpiece. It's going to be long. And he said, and then the bubble started. And he said, and then it came. Nine words. He said those nine words were, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Louis said, I was on the verge that day, I realized afterwards, of allowing this situation be something that distracted me from the fellowship I had with the Lord. And I needed a friend to say, don't let what's happening turn you bitter or away from what God is doing. He said in multiple times in my life since then, in different places, when a temptation has come my way that I might be wanting to give in to, when someone has said something I might want to respond to in a way that wasn't what Christ would want, he said those words have come back to me again and again and again. The Lord has invited us to a table. He has invited us to fellowship with him. It is for our good. It is for his glory. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't let the distractions of your life and the devices of our enemy take us away from what God wants to do so here's my question to you as we close in what areas of your life have you allowed the enemy to pull up a a seat right next to you to whisper in your ear or lead you down a path that you know is not what God would intend and because of that what are you missing in your fellowship with the Lord you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, invites us into fellowship with Him for our benefit and for His glory. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for today and for this chance. And Lord, I am more than grateful, more than we can express, that you, as the Almighty God, offer us an opportunity to have fellowship with you. Nothing good in us deserves that, Lord, but you offer it. And Lord, I can't help but think of the number of times. That I'll walk right by the invitation to you and say, uh, I'll get back on that. I'll be there in a minute. I'll be just a minute, just a second. And Lord, help me to see what I'm missing when I do that. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that has never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, that you would allow them to understand the, the good that you want to provide for them, the greatness that you want to bring to their life. And in the midst of it all, Lord, that your name will be a name that is lifted high. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.